three, two, one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday, where we get to talk to friends, clients, sometimes complete strangers, sometimes social media friends about failure and how it's shaped them professionally, personally, how it's made them better moms, business owners, employees, bosses. And what I found is that failure is integral to growth. And we don't talk about it enough. I mean, sure, you, you see that motivational quote every now and then on Twitter or Instagram, but we don't talk about how it specifically has changed us and practical ways to learn from other people's mistakes because that is the best way to avoid failure yourself is to learn from other people's failure. You'll still have failure, but you'll have different failure. And then passing on that knowledge is just a form of love that I hope to give to people that are earlier on in their journey and self, and also to learn from people that I bring on here selfishly. So today we have Rita Risha, and she is the founder and executive producer of Reignite Media and podcast host of Ippity Boppity Business, and is also an avid Disney lover, which I could not tell. She literally looks like a Disney princess and has Mickey Mouse behind her. So why don't you take this opportunity, Rita, uh, to kind of give us the elevator pitch about those two endeavors and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am, of course, a Disney lover, but why I am such a Disney lover is because of the ability to make meaningful, human, and memorable customer experiences that not only last a lifetime, but are so wonderful that everyone wants to talk about. And it goes from one generation to another. So um, customer lifetime value is something that's increasingly more important to learn how to retain as this business world freaking changes all the time. <laughs> and we have all this competition. And, um, you know, for me, I I want to encourage people to learn how to infuse wonder in their work, how to create uh, content that is meaningful, but has a bit of a storytelling connection to it so they can fall in love with what they do and also in turn create super fans for their brand, product, service, or business. Um, and as a result of my podcast and all the work that I've learned from that, I have my own um, podcast production and consulting business, which is Reignite Media, where we work with you to help make your content dreams come true, whether that is podcast host coaching for inter interview best practices or some production help that you need, as we all need. We got a lot of content to make and not a lot of time. Uh, that's what I'm here for. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> Specifically podcasting, because I, I feel like everyone and their mom has a podcast now, but it's more our generation. You don't see these older business owners, people that have business, for, they're having trouble pivoting into this space. Yes. I think that's a real untapped need, that niche that you're attacking. Um, and on top of it, you have a marketing background, I believe, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. So you, you can help yourself get to those people because that's a totally different uh sector to market towards, right? They're not on their phones all the time like I am or like someone who's younger than is. Yes. They're more, that's, that's a whole different animal. So how are you targeting them? How are you getting that business out? Yeah, so for me, um, I am 
always on LinkedIn. I am posting, I am creating, and I'm often trying to make sure that I'm engaging as well too, because something that people often forget if they are overwhelmed with creating content is just the engagement aspect of how involved you can be on LinkedIn to garner attention to your page and your content. So by making sure that I have like an interesting tagline on my name, on LinkedIn, whatever it is, I kind of view it as a virtual billboard. So wherever I comment, it's like interesting enough for someone to want to go, huh, who's that person? <laughs> what is she yeah. talking about? Um, but more importantly, I am very much um, looking at authors lately as well, too. I find well uh, well to do very successful consultants, business people from any really generation, but more so ones that are more seasoned often, um, are keynote speakers or they are authors. So if the author, uh, has a publication company for their book, which they often do connecting with the PR or head of publication for that book company, um, and asking if they need help with their book tour, if they want to be on the podcast, stuff like that, um, is super helpful because it allows me to reach people that I would not normally reach without uh, doing it in a way that is uncomfortable or uh, maybe too spammy for for their liking. So yeah, yeah. I and when you first get into my industry, they they make you read depending on what training program you go to or who you start to work with. But I re vividly remember getting this LinkedIn book or how to network on LinkedIn, and like I just kind of like skimmed it. And like I and maybe this is just my shortcoming. I feel as though LinkedIn is maybe the most underutilized social network when it oh, comes yeah. to business growth. Even though I feel every conference I go to, there's like a section on how to use LinkedIn to grow your business. I feel like everyone's half listening, including myself. This year's the first year where I put effort into LinkedIn and there's so many people on it. Yeah. And I found that a lot of people who maybe aren't on it, their original emails on there. So like yes. if you can almost bypass the gatekeepers and get access to like a CEO or a founder or something because they set up LinkedIn a long time ago. They had no idea you could see their email. I know that's probably not, that's helpful, right? But yeah, I just leaked some information that they're kind of, oh shit. No, but it's true because think about also uh, the, not the CEO themselves, they're busy, but their VPs of marketing are on LinkedIn scouting opportunities for their CEO, for their founders. So if you can speak to that market, they're gonna refer you and go into their business uh, meeting, whatever it is, look at their the CEO and be like, hey, I've been following this girl, she's making this content, whatever. I really think we should do something with her. So I'm not trying to speak directly to that, to the owner or the founder. If they get hear from me, great, but really I am trying to speak to uh, the younger person or another person doesn't have to be age that maybe works in a, a different rank that wants to, um, you know, feel like, oh, I'm on top of the cutting edge of marketing and they see my stuff and they want to like, you know, refer it over. So um, the other thing with LinkedIn too, that people forget is there are so many lurkers. Like when you think that you are not getting a lot of engagement, not getting a lot of likes, not getting a lot of whatever, 
it is so funny because there are people that are probably looking at your stuff that don't even want to comment or maybe are not even allowed to comment or like because of their rank and business whatever and then you randomly get like a dm like a year later like hey i've been following your stuff but and then you've never seen them comment you've never seen their face anywhere so it's really just a long-term commitment but it has long-term benefits and it's how i've been growing my business organically is 100 percent from linkedin i haven't had the funds yet to put into paid instagram ads or paid google ads or any of that so for me it's it's so untapped but um it's so valuable too and i also learn a lot actually like on the flip side as someone that's trying to grow and increase my um proficiency and marketing and all of that like I don't even have an MBA, but I feel like I could get, I have like a, the first year of my MBA because of like all of the content that I've consumed on there. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I mean, I, I was amazed this past year, just, just going through it. And I was, but I will say that it's a great place to market and reach people. But what, what's the first thing people do when you send them a DM, they click on your profile. And I get a lot of spammy messages on LinkedIn. I'm not gonna say you're not going to, but you have to look past that and understand that there's so much more beyond those spammy DMs that you get on LinkedIn. But the first thing people see when they when you message them, they're gonna click on your profile. And I've noticed that whenever there is a spammy message, I always click on their profile, they're like half done. You have you really have to invest the time into creating almost like a link, exactly like a LinkedIn landing page, or it's not legit. Yes. Yes. People that are watching this. It's not legit. I mean, I like to think of my LinkedIn, especially my LinkedIn header graphic as a, a one pager, like in PR and public relations, they always talk about having like a one pager where you talk about where you've had speaking engagements or who's interviewed you or whatever. And um, oftentimes sending that PDF and an attachment lately will actually not be very effective in a PR outreach email because there are so many filters to look for things like spam and attachments is one of those things in the algorithm that'll move an email like that into your spam box. So for me, it's like, okay, well, if that's going to go into the junk box, why should I even make one? <laughs> uh, what can I do that's different? Okay, well, I can probably tell them in a message, hey, go check out my LinkedIn without having to use an R URL or whatever. And they might even click it if I just say hi, kind of a thing, you know? So it's like all of the ways that we would normally do business in a traditional sense, traditional advertising, traditional marketing need to be used in new creative ways. And that's one creative way that I kind of take that basis idea of a one pager and re-implement it into my LinkedIn profile for that reason. It's not something you learn overnight. There has yeah, to be. Yeah, I learned it overnight. No, it's something. Yeah. Oh, the there's way. been mistakes. There's been mistakes like linking the wrong thing in one pagers and many emails going to spam and me like sitting up and staying up late and being like, why is this not why? So you have to figure it out. And that's why you everyone listening is tuning into this uh, episode so that they don't have to sit there and be on IT calls for hours and wonder why nobody's answering their messages. <laughs> I mean, there is, there's some things you can learn from people's mistakes. And I'm, this is kind of like negating the point of my podcast, but there's some things you're just not going to learn until you screw them up yourself. There, there's power. There's, I'm sure there's some clever sayings to go with that, but there's power and pain and 
failing on your own and losing something in the process. And that's that's what this is built on, built on talking about that. So what failure in your business resulted in some form of measurable success that you would like to share? Yes, so for me, um, the whole crazy whirlwind of this business even starting was something that I didn't even plan for. I was very happily working at an agency for two years. I was a producer um, doing podcasting for B2B brands and um, I launched over like five shows at the agency. I produced over 300 episodes. I loved my work-life balance. You know, they had all the PTO and the whatever. And I was forever someone that was like, I'm an entrepreneur. I even hate saying that word, but like, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. Like I want all the benefits and like, I don't want to try like whatever. So I feel like uh, you make plans and God laughs. So I feel like I said that so many times and the universe was like, all right, miss, you, you, we're gonna try to humble you a little bit. So, you know, after working there for a couple of years, this year earlier around March, um, there were layoffs and it was a shocker to many of us because this was kind of before any of the more later layoffs that happened this year kind of happened um, in the general market business place, the, the world that we live in right now. Um, but basically, you know, I, I, I had enough money to pay for one month's rent and I was not really trying to be very financially safe in any way. I don't know. I just, I've never been great at it, but God, better now. yeah, cause I'm, I don't know, but either way, um, within two weeks of losing said job, I had to decide what to do. And you can either, there's only three options. You can either get a new job, you can uh, file for unemployment or start your own business. Those are the only three logical steps to take after. And I filed for unemployment. I never got the check. Okay. Um, I did job interviews and people weren't really vibing with me. And some of the experience that I had was kind of a little bit all over the place and wasn't targeted enough for some of these very intense content editing roles. So then I was getting some serious imposter syndrome. Like what the hell have I been doing for two years then? If these people are saying like, I don't have enough experience in X, Y, and Z. Um, so I just decided, well, screw it. I guess I'll have to start my own business then because I got to make money somehow. So I Googled how to start an LLC. I met an accountant um, at a podcast networking group. She was the only one there. She's smart, by the way. Go find your niche, uh, everyone out there. She was the only accountant at, a, at the content creator group. And uh, I called her up. Her name is Penny. Shout out to you, Penny. And I was like, hey, Penny. Um, I'm screwed. What do I need to do? How much money do I need to make? Cause I have no idea what I'm doing. And she just walked me through the whole thing and was like, yeah, based on your, you know, expenses and your desired profit margin, like you need to be, um, at least making uh, $6,000 a month in sales. And I looked at her and I was like, well, I have negative 200 right now. Cause I had to use my credit card to buy the LLC and you're crazy. Like, there's no way that this is happening. Um, and because I had spent, this is full circle, back to the LinkedIn comment, because I had spent a year building my personal brand on LinkedIn while working at that job, when I made the announcement that I was laid off, referrals started coming in and people started messaging me that they had opportunities. And I was like, where have you guys been? <laughs> like, what's right? On? And um, it was, you know, very surprising to me as well how, 
um, some of my colleagues were in the same position were also referring me to people. It was very much a, we're all here to help each other and figure it out kind of a thing. And because I had, I pride myself on trying to be as honest, authentic, and uh, real as I can online, they knew that I wasn't going to try to come back and like, you know, steal their money or steal their business or whatever. I really feel like my, uh, just the energy that I was putting out was just being returned to me in some way. And, you know, I went from zero, to, like negative 200 something dollars. And then in a couple months, like I was making, uh, uh, around like seven or $8,000 a month in sales from MRR what? from my, <laughs> from my, <laughs> that's really fast okay yeah let's okay feel like we need to that's a really great example guys like i don't want you to think that that is every story but maybe oh, but is there's a you... failure too so it goes hand in hand well, go, go, go to it because that's pretty amazing i was gonna ask you like how do you how do you feel like you getting laid off as a failure best with the other yeah so i mean it felt like a failure because i from the laid off aspect because i genuinely thought that i could never do this again like legit i thought that that was it podcasting was over nobody wants me and you know i've for let, let the business before i've had a couple of like kind of managerial roles but not really and um processes and all that jazz like weren't really something i was prepared for <laughs> when i fell into all of this so uh the failure was i didn't really know what i was doing a hundred percent like i knew kind of what i was doing so i grew too quickly and i didn't have the uh support systems and everything and that you would need in order to sustain it so it's not to say that I'm completely back at ground zero by any way, but I did lose a, a couple of opportunities because it's just my lack of ability to, in the very first month of two months of having a business, being able to understand basic things like, um, this is embarrassing to say, that I, I can't wait for people to tell me what to do. I have to tell them what to do because I'm a I'm a business. Like I have to be consulting them. Wow, what a freaking light bulb, Rita. I say sarcastically to myself out loud now because back then I was like, why is okay, I'll just take this money. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I haven't talked to you in a day. I haven't heard from you in two days, client. No biggie. I guess you don't want anything. Uh, and then, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. And um, I lost an account that I was very, very excited for. I was super pumped about it. It seemed like there was so much opportunity there, um, but it's okay because the leader of that company actually taught me how to properly let somebody go as a result. Like not only did this person sit down and be like, hey, I can tell you're new. Um, I still want to support you. We're gonna we're gonna give you uh, a little bit of money to help you with your career and help keep learning. Uh, here's an extra little bonus before you go. And I just want you to know that you're gonna do great things. And I hope in the future we can work together once you've had a little more experience. And he was just so kind and so honest and had this like not a pushover way, but just this radical candor that I had not really truly experienced before in someone. It was very like nurturing, kind of like how my mom would tell me, you messed up, I'm disappointed in you, but you can do better and I'm rooting for you, kid, kind of a feeling, right? So, you know, 
for a while, it took me, a, it's, and it's still taking me a little bit of time to recover from losing the count of that size and, and that, and that uh, status or for me, I guess, in my brain. <laughs> um, so, to, and as a result of that, it, it uh, kind of snowballed into like, okay, well, I keep trying to make systems. I don't know how to make systems. The systems are failing. Um, I need help. I can't afford help. Who's going to find me to help? I go through two, three assistants, can't find an assistant. And like, it went from so like rosy, cute, fun. And like the first couple of months to being like, there's no way that I can do this. Like every day I wake up and I'm like, is this real life? Like, can we do this? Is this happening? And then I just remember all of the people that, you know, showed up for me when I was having a rough time. And it just makes me want to keep going. And in turn, it makes me want to help others who are just kind of going through this themselves and just being honest and, and sharing in those experiences so that I don't feel so like, you know, dumb for it, you know, because you you, you make yourself feel like you have to know all these things, but if you've never yes. experienced them before, then how would you know? It's just, I was just gonna say that feeling of not knowing what you're doing never goes away. You need to get comfortable with it because with every step you take forward, there's going to be new experiences, new challenges that you have never fucking gotten to yet. And what I would say that has helped me because I'm in that I'm in the stage where every time I get comfortable, purposefully try to take a step forward. So I'm on. right now I've, I've done it a little bit too much, right? Like there's other things going on in my life. like. My husband's in Texas. I have a two and a three-year-old. I have a building a house and redoing this house. Shouldn't have done all of that at one time. But what has helped me and what continues to help me is one prayer, which sounds obvious. Um, two, joining focus groups. Uh, so I'm in a BNI referral group, which is other business owners, and then I am in a CEO focus group. And if you're not in one one of every city has it and all you have to do is google for it if you're not in one already i'm sure you can find it on linkedin as well but having a network of people who you're not trying to get as clients if it happens awesome if it doesn't fine there are those people that are ahead of you that are farther than you that you can ask the dumbest questions to and someone's going to give you advice and you want a group of people like that to meet monthly and every People are going to argue with me about this. Well, we're, I want a free mentor. I don't you want a group of people that you are paying for. That way you don't feel bad asking questions. Oh, yeah. That because is, that it can get so messy, thing. too. It can get messy if they're like, oh, we're trading services or, oh, this or that. And then people feel like everyone owes each other something. Like, it's better mm -hmm. to just, you, you get what you pay for kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, but yes. <laughs> processes are so important and I'm, I'm retuning mine right now and it's also hard because processes are constantly changing but in the yes. world that we are now where everything's home there's tech coming out every freaking day that makes your job easier um having a crm most of the times when you just start out having a basic crm a lot of people use honeybook um for my industry i use wealthbox salesforce and apply to uh, mutual different many different industries having a crm that can record client notes that can set tasks that can automatically send out reminders to clients is crucial to your success and once you find i would start with a crm 
And once you find a CRM, the process, the next step will become obvious after a while. So I would say to anyone starting a business and that the whole, that whole idea of having a process from start to end is super overwhelming because it is, it is so hard. You see, you're a unique situation where you've had so much business up front. You didn't have time to, to wean into the next step of processes and calendaring and automating things. Yeah. That took, I didn't have to do that at first. Um, you did because you, because of your brand was already there. So you had business ready to go. Most people won't have that. Most people will have to try a little harder to go from negative to positive like that. But my best advice to anyone watching is invest in a CRM. HoneyBook, I believe, starts out free and then maybe goes up to like $8 a month. Do it. I think it's so important too because the just forget who you talk to like it's just as simple as that like when was my last sales touch point with this person uh how how do i continue to build relationship with certain people too so it's not just like you're only messaging messaging them when you need something out of them like when i worked for uh bmw we they taught us this so well like to make sure we're reaching out on birthdays holidays remembering certain things and like documenting all the little details in the CRM system. If they talked about their kid going to a soccer game, like calling them up every now and then be like, hey, did your kid ever win that soccer game? Like these little things go so far and being that person that is indispensable to that client that you have. And for me, it's something I'm even more trying to think about as AI, like you mentioned, hinted at earlier, is coming into the picture and all these automations are coming in, like the soft skills, and the customer-centric, customer-focused uh, like abilities are more important now than ever because a robot can do something for you, but a robot robot can't make you feel. A robot can't make you, uh, you know, want to come time and time and time again back to to you for business. It's it's those moments. It's those relationship moments. It's the it's like the magic moments, for example, at Disney that like you would call them where somebody went out of their way to do something for you, but it's not possible, like you said, without any system or process in place because you're just running around like a chicken with your head caught off trying to do the daily. You can't go above and beyond when you're just trying to do the bare minimum. There's emotional intelligence and knowing what can be automated and what you can never automate. What you can never automate. And some things that you can never automate are depending on what business you're in. But for example, my clients will always want to meet with me. So I have quarterly meetings. They're never, at least the ones that I've developed in the last seven years, they're never going to be okay with like a doctor setup or like you have a, a PA that you meet with most of the time and you might see the doctor when it's serious. My clients will never be okay with that. So I will never do that. I, that is something that I've accepted. I think taking a, a deep look at the be beginning of your career and understanding, all right, this is what I hate and what I want to automate. What you hate, you hire someone to do. What you automate or you automate it, but if you can't be automated and you hate it, you hire assistants or you hire a processor or you hire someone in sales. And then what you can automate, you use things like Zapier. If you don't know what Zapier is, it makes technology communicate with each other. So you don't have to go from tab to tab or app to app. That's another key piece of tech that I would say most business owners are using now. Um, but 
especially in a service business like you and I are in, there's just some things that we can never delegate. Yeah, and I think to even what you're doing with this podcast, like imagine just the AI versions of ourselves like talking to each other on this show. Like there's only there's like really only so far it can go and I don't like to like you're mentioning, I don't like to view tools or technology as something to be afraid of or it's going to take my job. Like they're just supposed to empower us to uh, do business better and make room for the things that we actually want to do. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm learning. I'm definitely not there, but I'm learning. And every day I'm just trying to push myself to make a system, make a process, test something because I am such a creative by nature. And like, it is hard for me to do any of that stuff. Yeah. But I don't like to believe the lie that I'm just a visionary or whatever. And I can't implement like maybe to a certain extent, but I think we're all capable of doing amazing things if we put in the work, the effort, and we have the communities like you were mentioning early to help support uh, and guide us through those processes. You said it right there. You can be a visionary and execute. It doesn't matter what side of the brain's dominant. It matters, can you, do you know how to work hard? That's my pain. I have, there's so many people that want to own a business. And I think that's great. That's great, but I need employees that I can depend on. I need an employee who believes in my business and then I'm willing to take care of them so they don't leave. Like that's, this is a mindset shift that needs to happen. It is not glamorous to own your business. It is freaking stressful. It is so, if the money is great, if you just, but not, you don't always make money. There's going to be years where you are having to ask for gas money. I mean, I just had, I went to my CEO focus group Christmas party and we had a speaker on, this was what, Monday or Tuesday's Wednesday, so what's that mean? And our speaker was someone who just sold their multi-million dollar business. And she was explaining to us just the years that that, that took place to get her to 2020, I think is when she, 21 is when she sold her business. She's like, during the recession, I, our house was in foreclosure. She goes, I, other people were paying my dues for these clubs I was in. We could not buy groceries for our house. She's like, but I just sold my, my business for millions and millions of dollars. She, it's not, I think it's great that people want to take on entrepreneurship, but I think it's over glamorized. And we've talked so badly about our sister the employee there's no harm in being in ha being an employee that is secure in their job there's nothing wrong with that but you if you're going to own a business you have to be willing to make hard or sacrificial decisions on a dime i completely agree and like i mentioned earlier i was content working for somebody i was keen mm -hmm. i was going on vacations i was doing all sorts of things and it is hard running this, but I like to, you know, in those moments that are hard and make me wonder, well, why the hell am I doing this in the first place? I like to remind myself that it's still an investment in myself. So no matter how hard it is, no one can ever take away the fact that I worked 12 hours to try to figure out a LinkedIn algorithm and, you know, make three softwares, try to speak to each other to make one post because my disk was full and I couldn't figure it out. You know what I mean? No one will be able to teach me uh, how to be 
flexible or adaptable under pressure. No one will be able to teach me how to walk into a room of 30 people way more qualified and successful than I am and walk in and be like, okay, I'm good, I'm good, and have that confidence, have that ability to communicate and express who I am. I, no one else will be able to teach me how to healthily set boundaries in my work and life balance. I think in my prior role, I never really thought about boundaries and work, like what I wanted to take on, what I didn't want to take on, because I was just being told what to do. And oftentimes it would just make me wonder like, okay, do I even want to do this? But having to having the ability to even, the privilege to be able to even ask yourself, do I even want to do this? Can I do this? How do I communicate? I don't want to do this in a way that's not negative and still helps everyone involved is important. And it's so valuable. And it's part of what I didn't do really well at was communicating the negative uh, in that environment with that you know account that I had. I was really good at explaining when things were great. But if I was trying to coordinate time or whatever, I was trying to balance a lot of things at the same time, I was trying to act like everything was okay and make it seem like it was fine. When all that person needed was like, hey, I'm probably gonna have to reduce scope. I can't do this anymore, but I still wanna work with you and here's why. I couldn't say that. I didn't know that I had to say that. I just tried to act like everything was like, you know, the show must go on, like jazz hands and every keep moving everybody. It's everything is fine, right? Everything's perfect. It's like the dog, everything is fine with like the fire meme around him. When all, all they needed was clarity, they needed communication and they it needed strength for me to be able to say, this is what happened, here's what went wrong and here's how we can move forward from here. And I think every day I'm trying to get better at that and it inspires me to see people like you uh, teaching and encouraging others to do the same because you will never, maybe never, not never, it's very unlikely that you will learn that, these skills working for somebody else at least. That's a good point. It's a good point. And I just walk forward. So where were we? I believe I was talking about how I don't want to create fear. I don't want to be a fear monger, but I believe that there's so much power in businesses failing so that businesses like you can succeed. Because for you to succeed, it means another business fail. Most of most businesses fail. And those failures are the most valuable teachers to creating people who are incredible employees, people who become CFOs, CEOs, the chief marketing officer. Those are positions that not only pay well, but can be incredibly rewarding. But for you to own a business, initially, you have to be all of those things. And you have to do it well enough that people believe it. And you have to be okay with faking it until you make it and bullshitting your so much of what you do when you first start a business. And this is not a bad thing is bullshitting your way into rooms that you wouldn't be invited to. Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, isn't that kind of what manifesting is? It's like you bullshit yourself into doing the thing. Like, I don't know. You're lying to yourself every day. <laughs> But like you speak it into existence in a way, like your thoughts become actions and your actions become a sequence of triggered, you know, cause and effect that create a reality. And, you know, if 
if I want to, to sit around and be like, oh, you know, I'm an assistant, I'm a production assistant, like, and I carry that energy and that kind of whatever, no one's going to take me seriously. And I'm not a production assistant, but I couldn't, I couldn't at first be like, oh, I own a business. Like, let's talk about the fact that even saying that I own a business was hard for me to say. I couldn't even, I felt like I didn't. I was like, is this real life? Like, am I doing this? I don't know. And I think it comes with, um, just not believing that it's even possible to be all those roles that you have to be, especially when you come from a place where you applied for things and, and didn't get said roles <laughs> in those areas of business. So it really is just like the MBA of life. Like it, it's just, it makes me so excited to know that even if I fail, that I've learned something. And I always like to say, you have to go find your uncomfort zone because there you'll find the growth and the answers that you seek. So if I'm too comfortable and things are too nice, I'd rather go find the uncomfort myself so that I don't get hit in the head with something and be like, oh, I was complacent and I wasn't ready to, to handle that situation. <laughs> so, you know. And being all of those roles is crucial because you would never, you won't be a efficient leader or employer boss until you know how to do the foundation of those roles yourself. You don't, especially early on in your business, you don't ever want to hire someone for an integral role like processing or sales or, you know, cold calling, unless you've done it before. One, it puts you in an incredibly vulnerable position to get taken advantage of. And two, I mean, at first you're not going to be able to, you're not going to go just from zero employees to 10. There's going to be time. You might have one, two, maybe three. And there's going to be times when they're out or you're out. Everyone in the beginning has to be comfortable with this fluid job role. Looking back, that's something that I would have wanted to make more clear to my first employee was that, hey, this is, it's hard to write a job uh, posting. You can't just be like, well, you have to do absolutely everything. No, you, you post the job but when, during the interview, say, hey, I'm a small business. I'm just starting out. Are you comfortable with doing this role when I'm absent? Because the truth is there are some people, it's a very American, um, it's a very American posture to want to work your ass off at a job. In Europe and many other countries, you go to work, you clock in, you clock out, and then you have a whole life outside of work. Work is just work is what pays your bills so that you can live the life you want. And that's not wrong, it's just different than here in America. But there are some people who, whatever the job posting is, that's what they're gonna do. They're not comfortable doing anything else. So looking back as an employer now who's gone through several employees, I wish I would have made that clear in the beginning so that I'm being I'm being clear with what I need and somebody else has the opportunity to be honest with what they're willing to give. Um, and that's what you're gonna have to do when you ever find an assistant. <laughs> it's like, yeah, hey, yeah. this is your everyday role, but sometimes I'm gonna need you to like get on the phone and like put a split notice, be ready to present something. That's a skill yeah. that everyone has. I mean, I, my assistant now, there are days where I'm like, hey, do you want to learn how to edit intros today? And he'll just be like, oh my God, like what are right. you doing? <laughs> like, I'm like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to write show notes tomorrow. You want to write a show note? And he's just like, 
and I had to kind of scale back a little bit because I, I want to still work well with this person. So I asked them like, okay, what do you really like to do and do really well at? And what would you absolutely hate me for if you kept having to do? Like realistically, like can we break it up so that it doesn't feel like too much for you on your plate? Do I need to, you know, work on it with myself or whatever? And I just, you know, it helped a little bit too because now it's like I, I really want to only empower people who work with me to use their superpowers and be more efficient because it's going to be counterproductive if I'm forcing someone to do something that they don't like to do, they're not good at, and they never wanted to do in the first place. So, but there is a little bit of work ethic where it's like some days every now and then, you know, you don't, but let's just keep it balanced here in an open line of communication for that. <laughs> funny. It's funny you said that because I'm having a similar issue with my, really my, my only W2 employee. Uh, I, same example of what I was just talking about. I had her come in and we had a plan that she was going to be admin and follow up. But in the future, I would like her to manage, become the office manager, and then she would manage the employees. But as we, and if you're going to manage, if you're going to manage an office and oversee all the activities, you have to learn how to do all of the activities that you would hire for. And we're going through the paperwork processing aspect of, of my job, which is totally very tedious. It seems yeah. like it would be mindless, but it, when you submit paperwork for financial investment accounts and it goes through processing at a big custodian like TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, Vanguard, that processing people, they're not looking to process your paperwork and get the account open. They are looking to NIGO it. They're looking for reasons to get it off their table. Like, and you can't back take our you. money here. It is an excuse yes. to say no. I don't want to have to do this. <laughs> yes. So it is, it is so important. And she was just making so many careless errors. And it was such a hard conversation to have with her because you believe in this person as an employer. Yeah. You want them to succeed and you don't want to have, unless you're one of those weird people who loves confrontation. I don't want to have uncomfortable conversations. I just yeah. want you to be successful. But a good employer is someone who can look inside, look at themselves and be like, how am I contributing to this? But also, one of, the, one of the realizations I had was this isn't her strong area. She's struggling at it. Maybe management isn't what she wants to do. Maybe it's what she thought I wanted to hear. And I asked her, I was like, what part of, like, you're, me you're messing up. So what do you want to do and what don't you want to do? And she was like, I don't want to manage people. So having those conversations is crucial. Yes. But then, then you have to think about how do you pay this person? So how do you pay your assistant when you take responsibilities away? Do you keep them? Do you reduce them? Or do you give them other responsibilities? Yeah. And it's just that, that give and take that like seesaw thought process. It's not even just with that. It's literally with everything. It's with the services. It's with the, the, you know, the, the marketing efforts. It's with the, the employees, like there's so much of business that's just like, I have to figure it out. And sometimes I have to screw it up in order to know whether or not that was the right thing or not. So I mean, a lot, mean, of, times. A lot, a times lot of the times. Yeah. And it also teach you what you don't want to do. So what's your super. So asking your employees that question is super important. But then asking yourself that 
And that's going to change over the years of business. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'm at a stage now where I'm like, you know what? I don't really want to have to talk to my employees about their what, what they're doing or what they're not doing. I need a COO. And today, you can have you can outsource CEO. You don't have to bring in a person to pay the salary. You can pay a monthly fee for a small business and have someone who manages your employees, manages vacation days, corrects behavior, awards behavior, has those bonus meetings. I didn't know that existed until I Googled it and was like, I, I don't want to discipline employees. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to discipline employees. I want to do work. Please get me away from these scary conversations. <laughs> yes. And that is a, that's a whole thing. That, so those conversations that we have to be better employers with our employees are important and they're a necessary part of growing because you will fall on your face and fail time and time again until you have the right team around you. Yeah. And I've also asking yourself areas- the same question. It is asking yourself the same question because I've seen areas in myself where I realize I didn't do a good job of explaining something or maybe I Mm -hmm. thought I knew it was best, but my my assistant actually had a better idea and I didn't take a second to listen to that alternative option or that different perspective. So leadership and management in and of itself is is an art it's a responsibility it's something that takes time and if you go about it in a we just have to get things done kind of doer mentality scarcity mindset it you're not going to be successful but if you come at it from i like to uh always quote someone on my podcast he was the vp of magic kingdom and he always said that mothers make the best leaders and i was very surprised how very forwardly and open he said that when I asked him about leadership. And it's not that the comments itself surprised me, but like the analogy of how he broke it down, he was essentially like mothers nurture, mothers take time. They they understand the the emotional intelligence aspect of a person, but they also understand the the things that just gotta freaking get done outside of everything. And when you lead from not like a babying mentality, but from a nurturing mentality where you're really sitting time to listen, to to lead, to to model behavior as well too. That has a positive and beautiful trickle down effect that um, is just so inspiring to me to think. And I always think of my mom and and how amazing of a mom she is. And it, it even though she hasn't been a business owner, I really try to to emulate some of the ways that. Uh, try to emulate some of the ways that she she led me in my life to what I'm doing now because I turned out pretty all right. So if I could have just an ounce of that inspiration and kindness and leadership and in business with people I work with, then I I would be very happy. I'd be very proud. <laughs> I would close with motherhood is very very similar to owning a business. The management of a household, the ability to multitask, the nurturing of children, teaching children, training children, um, making sure bills are paid on, like all of that is eerily similar to managing a business. And the ability to successfully keep a healthy household together. And I, I, I have so much respect for stay-at-home moms. I have so much respect for single moms. Now that I'm having like a mini version of that, where husband lives in Houston and I'm still in Florida, yeah, I 
it takes an immense amount of patience. So I, that comment that your previous podcast attendee, I mean, I've never heard it before, but it makes so much sense to me. Um, so that hit home. But Rita, how how would you like people to reach out to you? And are you okay with people reaching out to you to talk about today's episode? I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about anything that they so desire. Um, my platform is Bippity Boppity Business. So you can find my podcast anywhere that podcasts stream. I'm also on YouTube. So you can find Bippity Boppity Business on YouTube. And if you don't know how to spell it, because my dad told me I did a horrible job of naming my podcast with love. He's Middle Eastern. And he can't spell things sometimes. Uh, I will spell it for you right now. It's B-I-P-P-I-T-Y. B-O-P-P-I-T-Y business. Bippity boppity business. And if you want to find me on LinkedIn, I'm literally there every day. It's Rita Risha. <laughs> and we'll make sure to tag you in this as well for people that are watching uh, that have a visual on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and then of course on Spotify and other audio platforms. Um, we'll find a way to tag you. That Well, you just spelled it. So that was, that was your tag. But thank you so much for coming on tonight. I know we had to reschedule because my life is just a freaking shit show right now. And I really appreciate the flexibility. Um, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kendall. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Good night. Good night.